text. Father, we thank you that you love us, you know all things that go on with us, inside us, and outside of us. As we sing, you, you watch over everything. You have the galaxies in your hands. All of history and all of experience is known by you. And we're grateful for that, Lord. We are uh, very simple, though. We're, we're t- trusting you day by day. We can't see very far. You teach us to lean upon you, and so it causes us to pray, and it causes us to beseech you on the behalf of dear sisters like Shirley and Mama B and others, Lord, that are going through struggles, and um, we ask that you would be gracious to them. Lord, we ask that you would heal them. We think we'd love to have them around longer, Lord, but we know it's your will. Lord, we thank you for this church and all that you do here and through it, Lord. May we continue to be uh, moldable clay in the potter's hand that you would use us as you so please and we would easily Lord submit to your plan into the potter's hands Lord thank you for this time tonight in Jesus name amen well it is 4th of July tomorrow it's known as Independence Day it's a great day isn't it um, hope you get to eat a hamburger or a hot dog or do something fun and relax um, but as Christians, it's interesting, we kind of celebrate more of a dependence day. <laughs> you ever thought about that? We are absolutely dependent upon God. Um, and and he, is, he is our master, we, he's our Lord. Uh, we, we long as Christians to do his will, to love him. Entitled the message today as we look at Joseph here, A Slave of God and the Freedom to Serve Him. It's an interesting title, isn't it? <laughs> We are slaves of God. The Bible says in, in uh, Romans 16, 18 that we have been freed from our sins through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and we become slaves of righteousness. Really belong to the Lord. We, he is our master. He is our kurios. It's the Greek word, Lord, ruler over our lives. And so we don't live independently of him. Have you ever tried to live independently of God? It doesn't work really well, does it? You get yourself in all kinds of trouble. <laughs> so we're dependent upon him. And as we study the life of Joseph, as we continue to make our way through Genesis, uh, we see a Joseph, what's recorded in the narrative, is someone who is very dependent upon God, very trusting of him in difficult circumstances. And so we want to look at a couple of thoughts tonight. We'll see how far we get in 41. 41's a long chapter. We'll do our best to... Um, to work our way through this and then pick it up next time together. Let me give you a couple of thoughts. One, waiting on God's perfect timing. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 1, right after the bat, we, have to, we can't go very far. We have to think about this a little bit. It says, now it happened at the end of two full years. At the end of two full years. That's, that's a long time uh, to be waiting on something. Um, think about Joseph. It's now... Uh, pressing in on 13 years since he was kidnapped at 17, put down the pit by his own brothers, sold in slavery, went to the slavery blocks, sold to Potiphar's house, worked there for many, many years, was falsely accused of, of an attempted rape, um, put into prison, forgotten about there, then gave, gave interpretations by God to the dreams of, of the cupbearer and the baker, then forgot again, and now we come to this passage. Two years. Two years. Um, I know this sounds like a long time with jail and all, but I think everybody goes through long waitings on the Lord. I, I, I thought through this today, I thought there's some people who have dealt with sickness for years. That God in his infinite wisdom has allowed difficulties to come into people's life we know we live in a fallen world sin has caused all kinds of problems in our life but there's people who wait on the lord for many many years with sickness people who are born with issues maybe there are some in this room who pray for a wayward child or a family member and for years you have faithfully prayed for that that child or that friend or family member Maybe you've suffered a long time in a job waiting on God that God would give you a better job, a better income, a better financial situation. It's even, and we see that there are those who struggle with a spouse or they have a marriage that maybe is unequally yoked or they go through times of difficulties trying to trust the Lord, waiting on God to help that other one walk with him. 
So you think about that. And the Bible writes on waiting on the Lord a lot. I, just, I want to take you just a couple passages and encourage you tonight because we're all waiting on the Lord in something, aren't we? I, I have a long prayer list that I pray through. Long prayer list. It has my children in it and family members and a lot of you in it and, and missions around the world and things I don't know how God is going to fix. I, I don't know. But I have a long prayer list. And so there are certain passages I go to. Turn with me to Psalms 25. We'll look briefly at this one and one other one and then a New Testament passage. Because I want to encourage you today because we are waiting on God's perfect timing often in issues in our life. And, and here we have two psalms of da, uh, from David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Uh, certainly he would understand what waiting on the Lord is like. Picked out of uh, his brothers, right? He's a shepherd out in the field. Hey, you're going to be king. We anoint you. You're going to have this kingdom. Well, that didn't happen right away, did it? <laughs> I mean, everything went askew, right? Pretty soon you've killed Goliath and now you're hated by the king himself. He chases you all over the place. He kills, uh, he kills a priest in order to get to you. He, he, he's using the, the nation's resources to chase you around the wilderness to get rid of you. And then your best friend Jonathan dies with the man who's trying to kill you on the battlefield. I think, John, I think David also knows a little bit about patience. And so hear his prayer in Psalms 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Think Joseph prayed much in that prison? I mean, I just think about how often did he lift up his soul to God? Knowing he had seen these dreams and, and interpreted them doubtlessly and knew that God had a plan for him and the care for his family and something, he, he, he was given these dreams. Joseph probably prayed like this as well. David goes on to say in verse 2 Oh my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none of those who wait, here's our word, wait for you will be ashamed. I think Joseph could have wrote this, right? I'm waiting on you, Lord. Why, why is those who wait on God won't be ashamed? Because he will deliver. It, it may not be today and even tomorrow. People say, well, do you believe in healing? I say, absolutely. God's going to heal every believer, this life or the next. Right? There's no affirmity that man, a believing man or woman ever goes through that God will not heal someday. And so I don't think you'd ever be ashamed of the Lord when he heals you and you step into his presence, right? Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. There's a difference, right? He says, I won't be ashamed because I'm going to wait on you, God. But those who deal in sinful ways, they will be ashamed. And think about that. They'll stand before the righteous God, and he will judge them according to their deeds. Revelations chapter 20. Four, make me know your ways, O Lord. You want patience? You want patience to walk with God? He says, make me know your ways, O Lord. What? How does he do that? <laughs> well, mostly through trials. <laughs> if you don't have any trials in your life, you probably won't trust the Lord, right? So he makes us know his ways by going through the difficulties that we do. He says, teach me your paths. David cries out, show me your ways. Take me on this path. Where are you? Help me see where you're taking me, where we're going. Lead me. Notice the terms that are in here. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. Wow, right there he sums it all up, doesn't he? I'm not saved without you. I put my hope, trust, and everything in you for all of eternity. For I wait all the day. David goes on to say, remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness. He reminds them of his attributes. For they have been from old. This is nothing new with you, God. You have always been this way. You will always be this way. You are an unchanging God. You've been compassionate and loving kindness. Remember that, Lord, O Lord, as you think of me. Verse 7, do not remember my sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. He knows that the Lord has blotted out his sins. What an amazing truth that is. 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in their way. Look at the difference in there. He leads humble, the humble in justice. And he teaches the humble his ways. See, waiting on the Lord and, and a prayerful person 
who waits on the Lord for what he has by in this life or in the next, that's, that's where you become humble. When we, when we don't wait on the Lord, we're anything but humble. Is that not true? <laughs> when we wait on the Lord, there's a humbling to that. Lord, I don't know how you're going to work this out. I am absolutely dependent upon you. As a male, I want to try to fix everything I can fix, but I can't do this, God. Speaking honestly here, us guys are trying to always fix things, right? Can't do this, Lord. I need your help. I need your help. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth and to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And I think as New Testament Christians here, when we see to those who keep his covenants, to, to those who understand and, and grasp onto the gospel, because ultimately all the covenants of God led to the gospel of God. And so for us, we look at this and we say, oh, this is the gospel, this is your testimony, these are your promises we hold to those. Look with me at Psalms 37 quickly. What led me to this in my study is I, I try to often picture the guy I'm studying in the Bible, which would be Joseph here, and I read those first few words there, and as I begin to study in two full years, the Bible says, I thought, oh Lord, where would my mind go? What would I try to hold on to? These were psalms that just flooded my mind that I think I would have prayed if God had put me in that situation, or if he does. Verse 1 of chapter 37, do not fret because of evildoers. You're going to have to wrestle through this. Do not, in, do not uh, envious towards, be not envious towards wrongdoers. I mean, Joseph would feel this as well as David, right? For we, uh, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. They're not going to last. Evildoers are not going to last. They're going to come before God and he's going to breathe on them and they will be destroyed. I mean, the Bible's very clear about this. He separates the chaff from the wheat and so forth. David understands this, and I think Joseph probably did as well. Trust in the Lord. Here's another great command. Trust in the Lord and do good. See, waiting on the Lord brings a humility to us, but it also brings a trust in the Lord, which strengthens us to do what is right according to his standards. Do good before the Lord. What is that? Well, according to what God says is good. So, so one one leads to the next and the next leads to the next when we start to wait on the Lord we start to put him before our own thoughts and what we think he should do one leads to the next and so there is a trust in the Lord and then there's good in the Lord and then then all of a sudden we dwell in the land that that means that we we live where God has us right <laughs> well I'd like to move <laughs> well wait on the Lord and so David says, dwell in the land and cultivate the faithfulness. You know, spiritual gardening here, wherever you are, wherever God has you, in whatever situation, are you cultivating faithfulness in that situation? Lord, I will be faithful in what you have called me at this point. See, that's where the gospel comes in, right? Lord, I, I don't even deserve any relationship with you. But you sent your son, he died for me, took all my sins, covered those past, present, and, and, and future. I now have an a, a eternal standing with you, Lord. Cause that to cause me to dwell where you have me, right here, this place, in this situation, with this spouse, this situation, this, this income, this job, whatever that may be, and help me cultivate faithfulness in this spot. Easy said, isn't it? Difficultly done at times. Delight yourself in the Lord. Hmm, what a great word, huh? Be exceedingly joyful in Jesus. David's been chased around the world. He's going all kinds of things. Joseph's locked in prison. Daniel's been taken from his, his people in Jerusalem and put into captivity as well. These are the, what these men talk about. They delight in the Lord. So waiting on the Lord causes this, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light, and your judgment as a noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Look at these commands. Just one after another. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Ooh. Do you ever put fretting? That's, that's 
worrying on steroids. Have you put that together that that leads to evil doing? That means you, we, when we fret, when we go beyond this, Lord, I'm crying out to you for help, when we start to fret, to, to lose control and, and let our emotions overrun us and our anxiety overrun us, it leads to evil doing. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, you start speaking to other people in a very poor manner. Because you, at this point, you've stopped trusting in the Lord. You are doing everything you can to try to control something that you can't. And you begin to cause evil doings. Being, bringing hardships into a relationship. And, and, and David warns of that. Rest in the Lord. <laughs> Wait patiently for him, otherwise you'll, you'll start to fret. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads to evildoing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, there's that word again, they'll inherit the land. One passage I want to take you to in in New Testament, Philippians chapter 3. This text is ministered to me through many years of ministry. I've come back to this over and over. Because I think sometimes we we say, oh, we've got to wait on the Lord. Well, does that just sit with your hands folded and wait for the gravy train to show up or something? Paul is in the context here, is, and we've, we've been in this text a couple times in Mark here lately. Um, he said, I've forsaken everything for Christ. I've forsaken my reputation, none of, none of that. All of what I've gained is, is not worth it. I've forsaken all for Christ, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the forgiveness of sin and the glorious Jesus Christ who beat sin, Satan, and death. All of this, he's, he's coming off of this statement. Then he says this, verse 12, look at this. Not that I have already attained it or have already become perfect. Don't you like that the Apostle Paul says that? I, I resonate with that statement. Lord, I'm not perfect. I'm perfectly forgiven, but I'm not perfect. And he's reminded them, look, this is quite a statement that he said. I mean, he's, he's said, look, I've given up everything for Christ. And everybody goes, wow. Man, man he's like he's sinless. He says, no, no, no. I, I'm not yet there. I'm, I'm not yet already become perfect humanly. That I still have an unredeemed humanness about me that I struggle with. But then he says this. And here's where weight and obedience meet. Look what it says here in verse 12. But I press on. So that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I keep moving forward. I keep progressing by the grace of God to live this life for him. Because he laid hold of something for me. He laid hold of eternal life for us. He said, I'm pressing on because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what else he goes on to say. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I'm still learning to to surrender all of this and to to reach the heaven gates, to be ushered into his presence. But he says, one thing I do, and this is such an important thing. This is where worry and fear really grabs a lot of people. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. See, part of our lack of waiting on God is we haven't dealt with the past. Christ dealt with it. He died for it. But we don't let it go. We hold on to things that God has sent His Son who died a tremendous death on, for that sin, and we hold on to those things. And, and in marriage, we bring things up in the past. We beat each other up with sins that Christ has forgiven for and forgiveness has been asked for. We let the past dictate. I tell people this all the time. Satan loves you to live in two places. And none of it's in the present. He wants you in the past or he wants you in the future. Typically, not all situations, women tend to fall back in the past. They think about all the things they wish they wouldn't have done or did or well, all those things. Men are always going, ah, forget about that. I just want this. <laughs> and Satan's waiting in both of those areas for us. And so there is a time where we remember that Wow, Lord, you forgave us of these things. I, I, forgetting what lies in the past. Think about the Apostle Paul here. <laughs> Persecutor of the church. How many families were destroyed by this man? How would he lay his head down at night? 
if his conscience wasn't clear that God forgave him of every sin he ever committed through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that sweet? Are you ever plagued, brothers and sisters, about past sins? Something you did in your youth. Something that, that you would probably tell very few people. Something that Satan uses at times to remind you of how poor you are and how, how you don't deserve what you have and so forth. It's those things that we say, Lord, you forgave me for that. Thank you. I'm pressing on for what you have for me. You have a role for me. You've given me a church. You've given me a family to be a part of, to serve you with, to walk with others till you return to gather us. You press on for this upward calling. And, I, and, and again, I'm, I know I'm far from Joseph right now, but this is what this led me to. As I thought, I said, somewhere along, along the line, Joseph had to get to this and he had to say, Lord, I, I cannot hold this against my brothers. I've got to realize that you placed me here. It doesn't seem like anything's happening. <laughs> I asked the cupbearer and the, and to remember me and he forgot me. And I sit here in jail and wait. And somewhere along the line, a man like Joseph and like us in many circumstances has to say, Lord, i got to forget what happened in the past just as you have chosen not to bring that up. And I need to reach forward to what lies ahead. Wait on you, verse 14, press on to the goal of the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Therefore, uh, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude as if any thing you have a different attitude God will reveal that so if you have something other than what God is intended for us God reveals those things right however let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained let's move forward let's live in the gospel brethren join in following my example and observe that those who walk according to the patterns you have in us for many walk listen to this of whom I often told you and now tell you even weepingly that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. There are many walk that way. Most people will never see Christ as their king, but only as their judge. He says whose end is their destruction. The God is their appetite, meaning they hunger for the things of the world. They hunger for sinful things. And those who glory in their shame, it's... It's what the world, what the world exalts is the glory of shame now. In fact, if you watch very closely, the things that are shameful in the scriptures are the things that are being most exalted in our societies now. That's not anything new, right? He says this, this has happened way back in the first century, who set their minds on earthly things. But then look at verse 20. And somewhere Joseph had to get to this point. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Joseph had to get to a point where he's in that prison where he had to probably say, Lord, if this is what you have for me, serving prisoners who come through here, if this is all that those dreams meant and what you had for me, I know you have something in the end even greater. And we have a citizenship. And, and brothers and sisters, we probably all would maybe desire something a little different than what God has given us in this life. But what waits for all of us if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is a heaven where Jesus shines. And notice in verse 21 as we pray for those who are going through physical struggles who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. People say, well, how is he going to make our bodies like his? He has power to speak creation, and he can do that. Well, that's point one. <laughs> I didn't get very far. Um, as I opened my Bible and began to look at this passage. Because as you turn back to Genesis 41, I just looked at it and I said, now it happened at the end of two full years. What would I do? No freedom. You know, prison is, that's what prison is. You don't have freedom. What would I do? What would I cry out? What would be my theme? 
Second, dreams in an agriculture lesson come next. Now it happened at the end of two full years, verse one, that Pharaoh had, dream, had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile. And lo, verse two, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and, and they grazed in the marsh grass. And then behold, seven other cows came up after him from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek cows, uh, sleek and fat cows. And then Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. And then behold, seven ears thin and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now, Pharaoh has these back-to-back dreams. It's interesting here. And they leave him very agitated, isn't it, when you look at this? He's, as, as we read through the chapter here together, he's disturbed, he's agitated, um, because he can't resolve the meaning. And it seems that Pharaoh senses that these dreams have something critical to do with the kingdom that he's overseeing Egypt. I'm sure he's had lots of dreams, but for some reason, these dreams have something to do with his kingdom that he rules over. The first dream, he sees seven beautiful cows with great confirmation. Now, do you, have you ever used that word about a cow, confirmation? Those of us that were in it, in the cattle business, we love good confirmation, right? If you're gonna look at a horse or a cow, I mean, you're looking for confirmation. What does that animal look like? This is, I love this stuff. It's, he's got a long back. There's your loins, right? You try, you got your, your t- uh, T-bones and your fillets in there. So you're looking for that long, straight back. And, and you're looking for that good hip. That's where all those roasts come out of and sirloins and all of that. And you're looking for a good front, which is where all your brisket comes from. And they're balanced out and they're beautiful and they're slick. And a good-eating cow is really shiny and, and beautiful. Oh, oh, boy, gets me excited. He sees those guys, right? Then comes these seven sickly gaunt cows. You know what gaunt is? I mean, they're kind of sucked in, right? Um, I've had sick cattle where you could feed them all you could feed them, but something's wrong internally and they can't process food and it just goes through them and they're sucked in and they're humped up and, and you can see them, they're just, they don't look normal. They're like your kid who's sick and who's just kind of scrummed up in the bed. He won't stretch out. And, and so he's seeing the differences of these animals in this dream. Both sets of cows come up out of the river, the Nile, which is obviously, that's the lifeblood of Egypt. Think about this. And the thin set devours the fat ones. This is a weird dream, isn't it? Cows eating cows? That causes diseases, right? Second dream is a stalk of corn. They're plump and sweet ears in abundance. You see all all that. Followed by this stalks of ears that are thin and they're dried up by this east wind. And that east wind means it's coming out of the desert and there's no rain with it. If you've ever farmed or dry farmed, you need rain. And if you plant grain of any sort, whether corn or grain, and you don't get any rain, it'll often sprout from the moisture that's contained inside the soil when it's planted there, but it'll just grow up and it'll just get thin and wispy and just have no strength to it. And this is what he sees. And again, the thin ears devour the fat ones. And all this has driven Pharaoh to a panic. See, in the ancient world, everything was around agriculture. There's very few people in the ancient world that would have had their hands in agriculture. And, and we know that in society as well, right? If you find a country such as ours where uh, agriculture is rich and, and widely produced, you find wealth. You go to a third world country where we're sending bags of rice over and wheat and all that, their economy shot. It just goes hand in hand. That's why some of us still say, hey, protect the farmer, protect that stuff, because you know, it'll destroy your economy um, when farming and agriculture goes south. And everybody has their hand in something here. So he realizes if this is some kind of some kind of teaching of something that's going to happen to our agriculture where, where it's going to turn to where the, the bad stuff is going to win, we're in trouble, and he's scared. He's very nervous. And so God is going to use his dream, one, to free Joseph, two, to save Egypt, 
to make them this great nation, and most importantly, to protect the nation, this little baby nation of Israel, because they're going to get brought in there through this famine. And so God's going to take 70 people that make up the nation of Israel, and he's going to put them right in the middle of this nation, and he's going to protect them. And guess whose seed is in the middle of that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Because he would not let him die. He would not let Judah die in a famine out in Canaan. He's going to bring him in. Third thought. The world does not recognize the way and the truth of God. Look at verses um, 8 with me. And then they said to him, uh, verse, uh, wait a minute, I lost my place here. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. There we go. Verse 8. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled, so he sent and called all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. And the, pharaohs, the pharaoh told his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Well, the Bible says, Paul said to the Corinthian church that the natural man does not understand the things of God. They're, they're, um, they're appraised. They're spiritually appraised to them. They don't, they don't see the value of them. But not to God's people. And so in the morning, Pharaoh wakes up. He's troubled by this dream. The Bible says here in verse 8 that his spirit was troubled. So that means down inside, this really bothered him. This wasn't just a, like a weird dream. Like, a, that was weird. He's bothered by this. So he, what does he do? He calls his magician, uh, um, magicians and wise men. Now, these would have been men that were, probably had their, their studies in astrology and, and possibly diviners uh, uh, probably dealt with things that were very godless. Um, they, most likely these were who a lot of these men were. They tried to read the stars, tried to understand if there was something telling them things. So often these men would come and try to present or try to figure out what Pharaoh wanted to do. But these pagan um, people were, they made up this cabinet for him. And often we see this, we'll, go, we'll look at Daniel here in a second. Daniel had the same run in with these guys. They make up the cabinet of these guys and they lead. And, and I, I think the scriptures are clear that we need to be careful of some of this stuff. The other day I was talking to a supposed Christian and I, I think they knew I was a pastor. They don't go here. I was just, we were having this conversation. And they go, yeah, I read my horoscope this morning and I was looking at it. <laughs> like, what? You read what? What does that have to do with a believer? But we don't trust in some kind of what I, I don't even understand that. I don't even know what I am, to tell you the truth. Um, and, I, I, you know, we don't look into that stuff. We, we trust a God who knows all things, who has written our history before ever one day has happened. He knows those things. And the Bible is very clear on this. Saul got in big trouble chasing a medium. And so in verse 8, these guys who, they, they are not worshipers of the true God. They worship probably a lot of gods, a lot of the Egyptian gods. They can't interpret this dream. And it's funny, the exact same thing happens to Daniel, right? Daniel chapter 2, do you remember this? King has a dream. Nobody can interpret it. And now he's going to kill everybody, remember this? And Daniel goes, oh, oh, hold on. God will give the interpretation. And he gives a perfect interpretation, turns out perfectly, and he's awarded that great position. So this is not uncommon. We see this in the scriptures before we have a Bible written. We see God using these things through, through men and interpreting them. Look at verse 9 through 13. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh. Finally. Way to go, buddy. You showed up two years late, but you showed up. I would make a mention today of my offenses. <laughs> so he's going to say, uh, do you remember when I kind of really screwed up? <laughs> and Pharaoh was furious with his servant. This is him talking to Pharaoh. And he put me in the com- confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had dreams on, on the same night, and he and I, each of us, dreamed according to an interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and he related, we, we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams to us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. Verse 13, very key here. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored in me my office, and he hung him. We studied that last week, right? So, so finally, the cupbearer remembers his faults in verse 9, and he uses that. Uh, King, do you remember when you were mad at me? You, you thought I was maybe involved in a coup or whatever was going on there? And, he, and here he reaccounts his jail experience with Joseph, and he recites his dream. In verse 12, Joseph is finally brought into the conversation. He goes, there's a Hebrew youth there. 
Now, for the first time, after two years after this man was blessed with, a, with God's interpretation of his dream and his job put back to him, he finally remembers this Hebrew youth. And he even reaccounts that Joseph's position in prison. Notice that he said that this man was put in charge. Verse 12, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. So he, he even remembers that this guy was kind of running the show in the prison even though he was a prisoner. And so the cupbearer memory was fine. He knew all the details. He had just forgotten. But most importantly, he says, Joseph nailed our dreams. And this leads to uh, Pharaoh calling for him. Fourth thought, glorifying God instead of exalting self. This is an interesting uh, aspect of this. Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph and they hurried and brought him out of the dungeon and when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Now, after the failure of Pharaoh's wise men to interpret the gene, the cupbearer remembers him, Joseph is brought out and brought in. Um, so God calls Joseph. He says, this is it. This is what I prepared you for. It's time to go, right? So he's ready. He's been waiting on the Lord. He's ready. And, and you, can, you can possibly imagine his response. Um, okay, uh, here we go. We have, Lord, I've been waiting for you. And, and I think he's probably, as we've talked, it's probably a little more white-collar type cr- uh, prison here. So, but it's still prison. And I don't think they had Egyptian cotton towels waiting for him. He's probably a mess. Uh, he's living in a prison. He is in Egypt. That was a joke. You missed it. Um, um, and so he has to get shaved and he has to get dressed and he has to be properly presented to Pharaoh. Verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said of you... That when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, a couple of thoughts here. He's desperate. He, he's not letting this go. So now you know it's more than him. It's God's doing this. He's not letting this go. He is now turning to a young Hebrew slave in a prison to try to get relief from the stress he's under. Who would do that? Let's see. I think we'll go down to Volusia County. Pick out one of those guys. <laughs> Some of you... People in law enforcement are snickering. I mean, you wouldn't do this, right? This is God putting this all together. It has to be. And he, and he says, look, I've heard this about you. All, I've talked to all these other people who are supposed to be able to tell me this stuff. Nobody can. And so there he's brought in front of him. And Pharaoh wastes no time telling Joseph his problem. And, and I think that's interesting. One, one of the things I thought about this is at this point, Joseph's really nothing to Pharaoh. He's a Hebrew slave. If he doesn't get it right, I can kill him and not blink. So at this point, he's nothing. He doesn't talk to me. Oh, how's it been going for you, Joseph? I've heard you've been down there for a little while. (laughs) There's none of that communication. It's just, hey, I heard you can do this. Come on, give me. So, So there's no relationship right now, right? But nonetheless, Joseph is holding point. He's just a Hebrew slave that might have some answers to Pharaoh. The world often will search Christians for answers. Um, I think that's very, very true. Uh, I'll meet with a lot of people who are not in the faith, and, and they'll go, well, what does the Bible say about this? Or what do you guys believe in this? And there are great verses in the Bible that say, tell us to let our, our speech be seasoned with grace, ready to give an account. When people ask, I mean, we, Romans talks about it, Colossians talks about it, Philippians talks about having a word ready to go if you're asked. And, and I think Joseph was ready. He's ready. Notice in verse 16. Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, as Joseph prepares to interpret Pharaoh's dream, he wastes no time to give credit to God. Isn't that amazing? And it's quite possible that God maybe have already given Joseph the understanding of his dream. I I don't know. He he just nails it right off the bat. He he knows both the dreams and he knows that that they're two dreams, but they're one revelation. And it's also important to notice here, and this is the point of point four, that Joseph never requests for personal favors in this. (laughs) Now, you got the king over a barrel. He seems to be somewhat desperate, maybe. You think maybe we would go, Hey, before I give you this interpretation, dude, they've had me in prison. (laughs) I want somebody's head. You think you would do, I mean, we might do that. This is unfair. Do you know that I was stolen from my family? Do you know that I was made a slave? Do you know who my father is? 
I mean, that was what we would do, right? And I think one of the things we love about the patriarchs who, who wait on the Lord and, and the matriarchs who wait on the Lord, a handle like we looked at the last week, um, we, we look at them and they go, they trusted God during unfair circumstances. And I, and I, and I was really encouraged by this. And so Joseph never asked to be exonerated from his false accusations. Would you at least go back and set that record straight because I have a false accusation of rape hanging over me. And I would like my, my reputation clean. I mean, that's probably fair, isn't it? And yet, not Joseph. Joseph just steps up and he gives God's clear word on what's headed for Egypt. Look at verses 17 through 20, we'll just, uh, 17 through 32, we'll just read down through this. Now this scene unfolds in probably Pharaoh's palace. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, in my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, and behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up, from, came up out of the Nile, and they grazed in the marshland. And lo, seven cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I had never seen for ugliness in all of the land of Egypt. And the lean and ugly cows ate up the first seven cows. Yet when they had devoured them, it, was, it could not be detected that they had devoured them, for they were just as ugly as before. Then I awoke. I also, I also saw in my dream, and behold, seven ears and full and good came out of the single stalk, and lo, seven ears withered thin and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the good ears, and then, then, I, then I told it to the magicians, for they were, there was no one who could explain it to me. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, dreams are one. You're, both of these have their, their one dream and the same. And then he, here he goes again. God has told to Pharaoh what he's about to do. He is now prophetic, isn't he? He's speaking on behalf of God in this situation. Verse 26. The seven cows are the seven years, and the seven good ears are the seven years, and the dreams are one and the same, and the seven lean and ugly cows that came up out of them are seven years, and seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. And it is as I've spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. He says it again there. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come. And all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will ravage the land so that the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that uh, subsequent famine. For it will be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. So here in this section, Pharaoh retells the dreams in their entirety. Uh, this time, he seems to emphasize the frightening aspects of it. He didn't say this in the first one. Verse 19, he says, such as I've never seen. So you can see he's worried. This is, this is something I've, I've never seen before. I'm nervous about this. Verse 21, Pharaoh relates that the disturbing facts that after the gaunt cows had eaten, they were just as ugly. That bothered him. He knows that's not right. That's something that's, that is outside of nature. That's, that's, that's something, something's going beyond what he can understand. He knows this, if this is true, that you can feed this animal all of this and it doesn't change him, there's trouble on the horizon. Verse 22, Pharaoh recounts the second dream and he adds an adjective in here. He says they're withered. This time he, he adds something. He says this is bad. This is, this is not the plump, sweet corn and grain that we're known for growing here. This is withered. This is not good. And this dream had really disturbed him. And finally, Pharaoh mentions the failure of his magicians and his wise men who couldn't interpret it again in verse 24. Nobody knew what this meant. Verse 25, Joseph, after listening, just without hesitation, isn't this cool? In verse 25, he doesn't even hesitate. And he says, here's God's word. And interpretation is clear, it's practical, and it's astounding. And again in verse 25, he tells them that the dreams are in the same, uh, the same. The other guys couldn't put that together. And Joseph speaks very clearly as he tells Pharaoh what God is about to do. The dream is simply fair. It is, is simply... Um, uh, fairly simple when you look at it. But without God revealing it, we wouldn't know what it meant either. And so there's these seven years of plenty that are going to begin immediately. And, and the words are real, um, 
uh, extraordinary as you study them. It's not just like a good year. These are going to be phenomenal years. God is going to do something um, probably supernatural to produce the kind of grain that they're going to need not only to feed Egypt, but to feed the world that's going to come to them in these seven years. He said, was that possible? Well, he's done it before. Actually, he'll do it in the, in, in the future to this. Remember when Israel's running around in the wilderness? In some nations they come upon and God says, destroy those nations, and they destroy them. And then other nations he sends and says, go purchase food. Now you're two to four million people walking around and you're gonna purchase food from a city? Do you know what God had to do ahead of time for that pagan city to be ready to feed the nation of Israel coming through? <laughs> this is what he does, though. And so he's going to do this extraordinary, he's going to give them extraordinary abundance in this Egypt to, to, to stockpile these things as Joseph's going to give uh, the instruction for. But then there's seven years of famine. And this is a famine like they've never seen before. I got thinking about this just a little bit, and we're, we're going to end with this point and come back to this next week. The world does go through cycles. And the global warming people will be going crazy about year two. And, and yet God is in absolute control of all of this because he has a purpose to bring the seed of his son into this nation. And he's got absolute control. And nobody dies outside of what he wants. Nothing happens catastrophic and globally that he doesn't want. He has absolute control of all of these things. And you could imagine the press today. Al Gore would have his heyday um, in, in these seven years. I mean, they, they would be blaming everybody. And yet God said, this is what's going to happen. I'm doing this. And so, folks, we trust God with the weather. Lots of rain, no rain. We, we trust God. He, he's in control of all of this stuff. He's so control of it that uh, it belongs to him. We sang that song, and uh, uh, Hayward let us in. And, and the idea of the song was he has, all these, he has all this in his hands, right? And I think the only one in the room at the time of this was Joseph who believed that. And so these seven years were coming. Verse 32, I just want to end with this. Now, as for repeating the dream to Joseph twice, it meant that the matter is determined by God. And God will quickly bring it. He's speaking with authority. This is a young Hebrew slave with a fresh shave who's been down in a hole for a while going, God determined this. And, and you know what's wonderful? I'll quit with this. God determined this. So when I read God's word, I'm not going, you know, well, I don't know if that's true or and that's interpretation. Oh, I just, we just believe it, don't we? We believe his word. And there's so many great things that come from just saying, God, I know, I, I struggled humanly, I'm afraid of this and I'm afraid of that, and, and I go through struggles, but help me to believe. We're gonna, when Mark 9, when we return to Mark 9, um, we're going to get into that text where the where the man of the, the, the son he brings before the Lord Jesus Christ says, Lord, I believe. And then he says these words, help my unbelief. And we're going to look deeply at that passage to understand that there are times that we say, God, help my unbelief. A prayer I pray often, I say, Lord, I am but dust. I do not know where you're going at this point. Help me. Help me believe and follow you when I can't see where you're going. And, and when we get to that point and we believe God's word, there's a trust and we'll say, God determined this. Now, if I got sin in it, I need to confess that and repent of those things and turn from that. But in, but in all reality, I have to accept what God is doing. And that's difficult for us as humans sometimes. We struggle with what God has done and what God is doing and why he's not doing it our timing. But Joseph's a good testimony to that, isn't he? He served while in the darkness, when he couldn't see where he's going. He was available, and when God called for him, he came out. He didn't complain about his circumstances. He didn't exonerate himself. He did what God asked him to do. I hope we can do that. I hope we can do that in our circumstances. And, and God wants to help us to do those things. Great psalms, read those psalms and be encouraged by those as David and Hannah and, and so many other patriarchs and matriarchs of the scriptures went before us trusting the Lord in difficult circumstances. Amen. Hey.
Let's pray and then we'll be done. Father, thanks for just getting this through a little bit of this chapter, Lord. What a, a marvelous story this, the story this is, Lord. It, it encourages us to put our faith in you when we can't see what you're doing. Lord, we, we would have never been able to devise a plan that you would, in eternity past, plan to send your own son the Lord Jesus Christ, equal in glory, equal in stature, equal in every way to this earth so he could die for our sins. We could never have conceived that on our own, Lord. We would always come with our own attempt at goodness. And so, Lord, we thank you that your plans and your ways are always better than ours. And, Lord, as we study this book of Genesis, may it remind us to trust you to trust your plans, to trust your ways, to read your word, to believe your word when it's given to us through the Bible, through those who handle it, um, that it, you would believe, we would believe what that counsel is. Lord, help our unbelief when we don't. So strengthen us for this, Lord. We want to finish well. We do pray for those who are, seem to be close to the finish line, Lord. We particularly pray for those who are just struggling tonight. Lord, I, my heart goes out for them. Please guard them, protect them, keep them close to you, Lord. And we pray for your will be done. Strengthen those around that are encouraging them. And we ask that you would do this for your glory, Lord. Thanks for this church. Thanks for Fourth of July giving us a, 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 a holiday to remember that this nation became free and independent. And Lord, the gospel has flourished here in America. For for decades and centuries, we have been free to preach the gospel. We have sent missionaries around the world. We, we have been engaged with the Great Commission. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for so many who fought for our freedom, those who believed in you and those who didn't, but you used them all to give this nation freedom. And I pray today as we see some of that slipping away that Christians would be the ones who would willingly say, look, we, we love freedom, but we love Christ even more. And he is all to us, Lord, and we would stand to try to do what's right, Lord, in a humble way to keep our nation free so the gospel can go forth, Lord. Lord, thank you for this nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for those who make decisions, Lord. We, we beg you, Lord, that you would turn the hearts of the kings and they would go to your path, Lord. Do believe with all those who, who have fought for us, those who are in the military now, Lord, please protect our men and women. And give them strength. Cause many soldiers to turn to you for Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.